Let's um, open God's Word to 1 Peter. Who is Peter addressing in his letter? One commentator described Peter's hearers as um, pilgrims in a hostile world. Pilgrims in a hostile world. And really, uh, he does use the word pilgrim. Uh, pilgrim means um, wanderer or alien. Wanderers, yes, um, to the world, but uh, wanderers with a purpose, with a calling, with a savior. And um, so they're not wandering aimlessly. But um, Peter encourages the believers. We've, uh, we've seen in the last couple of weeks by... Um, reminding them of their salvation, that um, they were elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Tremendous encouragement to uh, suffering believers and that they had a future hope and inheritance in um, verse, verses 3 and 4 of um, uh, 1 Peter 1. And then um, in verse 5, he reminds them of the wonderful keeping power, the keeping power of God. These saints were oppressed by various trials, grievous trials. And they seemed to be in danger of returning to the old life, of renewing corrupt associations, of conforming themselves to the former lusts, we read in, uh, in 114, as in their ignorance, uh, these, um, these corrupt associations may have been um, old friends that were bad company. Okay, so Peter's, um, Peter's trying to steer them away, steer them back to devotion to the Lord. What these saints needed in their trials was, Peter's going to tell them today, a deeper love for their brethren, and a desire for growth, for maturity through God's word. So let's read uh, 1 Peter 1, starting at verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Note the progression that these saints have made so far. And, uh, 2, 1, chapter 2, verse 1, he says that... Um, Sorry. 
Uh, in uh, chapter 1, verse 25, he says, the gospel was preached to you. So that was the first step. The gospel was preached to them. And in uh, verse 22, it says that um, they obeyed the truth. The gospel was preached and they, they received, they yielded, they submitted to God's truth. At the same time, they purified their souls. At the same time, uh, we read in verse 23, they were born again. As a result, they found new, unpretended love for their fellow Christ followers. And then they tasted and experienced that the Lord is good, he's kind, he's gracious. In studying the passage this morning, we're going to ask several questions and hopefully answer those. Uh, The first one is, how does God give new life through his word? It says that... um, they were born again uh, through the word of God. What, uh, how does that work? How does that happen? And uh, uh, part two of that question is, um, uh, what is the result? Uh, what is the result of this, um, uh, this new birth? Second question is, what is the importance of the incorruptibility of the word? Incorruptible means imperishable. It means permanent. It's here to last. It's here to stay. What's the importance of that? Paul, there we go, sorry. Peter uh, spends, um, uh, he quotes the Old Testament to really uh, pound this, this truth in for us. So what's the importance of the uh, incorruptibility, the in- imperishability of God's word? Third, what hinders Jesus' followers from spiritual maturity And uh, conversely, what helps them grow? Uh, What's going to help the believers grow in in their Christian life? And then finally, time permitting, we'll make application. We'll ask some application questions uh, at the end. Peter refers to God's word at least five times in this passage, so it uh, it clues us in that um, that is... uh, predominant in his theme, the word of God. We're going to see that as we go through, um, that uh, Peter stresses the the importance of the word of God. Well, in uh, verse 22, we see that uh, these saints obeyed, they submitted to the truth, and uh, purified their souls. How much, of a, how much a part did each believer play in purifying his or her soul? It sounds like the believer did the purifying, if, um, if I'm reading here. Um, well, each believer cooperated with the Holy Spirit when the, when the Spirit cleansed him or her from the defilement of sin. In that sense, yes, um, he purified his soul. He he was cooperating. He was working uh, in unison with the Spirit, allowing the Spirit to do his cleansing work. The Holy Spirit uses the truth in purifying. We read that in verse 22. They obeyed the truth. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, he said, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. The word has that cleansing effect. 
And then he prayed to his father in John 17. He prayed, sanctify them, that is, set apart those you've given me by your truth. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth, okay? Set them apart. This um, purifying of soul, we learn in, um, in verse 22, results in sincere love of the brethren. That's what in means in the New King James. They uh, obeyed the truth through the Spirit, resulting in sincere love of the brethren. When these men and women obeyed the truth and cleansed their souls, they realized a love for the brethren. They began to value what is precious to the Lord. They, um, they found that they were precious as well. We, um, we read last, last week that um, these uh, believers are purchased with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The word that Peter uses for love in uh, verse 22 is Philadelphia. That's an easy one to add to your Greek list. Uh, phileo is um, Greek for um, affection. It's uh, fondness. Um, and uh, it represents um, appreciation. And Adelphos is uh, brother. So when we, when we say Philadelphia, we're saying love of the brethren, a fondness and affection for the brethren. And um, uh, John reinforces this in 1 John 3, 14. He, he says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. We know that we passed from death to life. We, we know the new birth because we have this new love for the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. And then we sang just a moment ago, uh, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. What verse? Verse John 4, 7, and 8. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, uh, Peter, uh, in verse 22, he says, um, you, uh, you have this sincere love of the brethren, now love one another fervently with a pure heart. Okay? What, uh, what does Peter mean? You, you have this love for your brethren, now love them fervently with a pure heart. Well, in the original, there's a change of words. Okay? So, the love that Peter speaks of first is Philadelphia. The second love is agape. It's... Um, uh, it's a, a different kind of love. We mentioned that in our worship meeting this morning. The, um, the love that, um, that Peter refers to is, um, is a, a deeper love, a sacrificial, self-giving, otherworldly love. Uh, agape is God's nature. When the Apostle John wrote, God is love, this is the word that he uses. God is agape. God is... Um, is sacrificial. He's self-giving. He's um, uh, he uh, he gives all. And so um, Peter calls his believers to 
love one another fervently with a pure heart. It's, um, he says fervent. Fervent means earnest, intense, wholeheartedly. Love the brothers with a whole heart. It's a love that suffers long. It does not seek its own. It bears all things. It endures all things. It's a love that never fails. Do you know this love? In verse 23, Peter indicates that this agape is based on the new birth, that we, we have to have a new life within to uh, enjoy the love that, um, that is God's nature. Loving others with God's love requires our reception of the life that God gives through new birth, through spiritual birth, through second birth. And he, uh, Peter says that the new birth is not from corruptible seed, but from incorruptible. Jesus told Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. The flesh is corruptible. We don't come to God, we don't become God's children by our parents. We... Um, we recognized in our worship meeting again that the Levites became Levites because they were born into the tribe. We don't uh, come to the Lord that way. But instead, as many as received him, to them gave he power, the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, that is, uh, not of our parents like the Levites, not of the will of the flesh, that is, not by our own will, nor of the will of man, that's uh, a dear um, Christian relative who wants, uh, who wants us into the kingdom. Uh, uh, John says that's not it either. He says, uh, but of God. Uh, we're, we're born uh, again of God, not of our own will. So we don't become God's children through, uh, through physical birth, Neither do we receive spiritual life through our parents. They are uh, corruptible seed. God identifies incorruptible seed as his word. It reminds me of the uh, parables that the Lord told uh, about the soil. And he said there were, uh, there were four types of soil, and the sower went out to sow, and he's, uh, he's broadcasting his seed to uh, to these different types of soil. And then uh, he says that that seed is the word of God. It's, uh, it's incorruptible. It's pure. How is a person born anew by the word of God? Men and women read or they hear God's word and they're convicted of their inadequacy, their unworthiness, their ill-deservedness. I read that in the Word. It's very clear. It was very plain to me before I came to the Lord. Hey, there's a problem. I'm a sinner, and there's a price on my head, uh, a price that I must pay for my disobedience. But as I continued reading God's Word, hey, there's a solution to the problem, and that's the Lord Jesus, and he, uh, he paid the full guilt and shame and penalty of my sin on the cross. And so God used that word to, 
to, uh, to draw me to faith in the Lord Jesus. I trusted in him, had that satisfaction, that, that joy, that relief that there is salvation, there's, uh, there's hope for the, uh, for the hopeless. I came to him. And so uh, we're converted to God. And uh, James uh, wrote in um, his epistle, verse 118, of his own will, he begot, he begot us by the word of truth. God begot his children by the word of truth through that word. Bill McDonald commented, uh, no one is ever saved apart from the instrumentality in some way of the incorruptible word of God. Hopefully this answers the questions for us. How does God give new life through his word? And what's the result of new life. What's a result of new life? It's the love for the brethren. He, um, he goes on, Peter does, in um, uh, verse 23, he says, uh, we're born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which abides forever. The word of God is, um, is incorruptible. It's permanent. Some treat the Bible simply as a historical document. After all, it was written 3,500 to 2,000 years ago, and um, they fail to appreciate the relevance and the power of God's word. They feel, fail to realize that God's word is a revelation. It's not just, um, it's not just a, a letter to, um, to mankind, not just a... Um, communication that God has, has given, but it's a revelation of truth that we would not know otherwise. And it's a truth that is vitally important to each one of his creatures. These are truths that are not discoverable under a microscope, not through artificial intelligence, not by the insights of artists, songwriters, philosophers, or psychologists. God has communicated this truth through his word to us for our application and our care, our, um, our proclamation. Truly, God's word lives because God uses it to impart life to those who have no life. It has a, an abiding relevance for the last uh, thousands of years. J.I. Packer, um, noted author, told a story about a man in England, uh, a preacher who went out to a city street and he, um, uh, he had his hat laying on the pavement and he, he exclaimed to the crowd around him, he goes, it's alive. And people started to gather around, he goes, it's alive. And uh, people started getting a little worried, you know, what's, what's going on here? This is a hat, you know, this guy's uh, afraid of. And he's, he's kind of reaching for it and then backing away, and people are getting scared. He goes, it's alive. And so finally he reaches under and he pulls out his Bible and he, he says, it's alive, it's alive. And perhaps began preaching from uh, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful, it's living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing even to the uh, division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow 
and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's alive. And it abides forever. Why is the permanence of God so important? Well, Peter, um, Peter goes into verse 24. He says, he's quoting Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away. Earthly life is corrupt. It's perishable. It's subject to death and decay. The flesh simply doesn't have the capacity to give permanence, to give uh, everlasting life, or to receive it even. The flesh is not capable. Charles Spurgeon gave a short history of grass. He said, um, it's sown, grown, blown, moan, and gone. And such is the history of man. All flesh is as grass. And if the grass is that short-lived, how much quicker does the flower of the grass pass away? The glory of man Paul, uh, Peter uh, refers to the glory of man. What is the glory of man? It's really the height of his capabilities. It's his intellect, his athletic prowess, his scientific, literary, technological insight. This is the flower that passes away. How interesting it is in um, Matthew 6 that the Lord compares Solomon and all his glory to the flower of the field. It's, um, it's collected, it's, uh, it's uh, thrown into the oven, it's gone. Spurgeon said, the best of men are men at best. There's another aspect of the word corruptible. It means uh, imperishable, but it also means that it's subject to Decay. In our house, we have a, a green box in the kitchen. It's a compost box. And um, orange peels and table scraps and potato skins and uh, everything compostable goes into the box. And it's good for two or three days, but uh, if I've forgotten about it, it doesn't forget about me. It's, uh, it's calling, it's saying, here I am, take me out. <laughs> and I hurry out the back door to the big green bin before the housemates uh, complain. Okay? It decays. It stinks. It's subject to corruption. And I, I think um, in this regard of human philosophy, Mahatma Gandhi Mohammed, Charles Russell, Joseph Smith, Norman Vincent Peale, Mother Teresa. In their time, they were heralded, they were uh, regarded as great personalities in the world. They may have lifted up their 60 or 80 or 100 years of, of knowledge and wisdom and experience against God's eternal wisdom and knowledge and power. 
their flower, their flower has fallen away. It's corrupt. It's not just perishable, but it's, uh, it's decayed. Are you entrusting your immortal soul to these frail philosophers and imposters? Or are you looking for something more authoritative, more permanent? Peter says, but the word of God endures forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Amen? Yes. Jesus' words have been contradicted, maligned, twisted, marginalized, but they have by no means passed away. Will you obey God's truth? And in um, Matthew 7, Jesus compared obedience to his sayings, to his word, as a wise man building his house on the rock. And when the storms came, the winds blew, and the house did not fall, for it was grounded. It was built on the rock. He said that whoever disregards his sayings are like the foolish man. Yeah, he's got a nice view of the ocean, but he's building his house on the sand. So that when the winds come and the waves roar, the house falls and great is the fall of it. Isn't it comforting to entrust your soul's eternal safety to promises in God's eternal word, building on the rock? The psalmist uh, said, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Settled in heaven. That means it's standing firm. It's still there. It's still fixed. Still as authoritative as it was when it was written. God in heaven is outside the limits of time. From his vantage, he sees history from start to finish. He sees the whole thing. He's not bound by uh, Sundays or Februarys or hours of the clock. Likewise, he sees his word stretched out from the moment he said it until the moment it's finished, it's fulfilled. God sees the whole thing, the whole stretch. God cannot see his word unfulfilled. The word of the Lord endures forever. Peter says, uh, now, this is the word by which your gospel was preached to you. This, the gospel that you heard is this word. It's the permanent, imperishable, incorruptible word of God. And then he talks about, he, he writes about um, Christian growth, overcoming hindrances to spiritual growth. God desires maturity in his children. You parents desire maturity in your kids. You, um, uh, you rejoice in the, the uh, progress that they make, driving the car, right? Maturing. Sin breaks communion with him and it blocks the channel of communication and blessing through his word. John Bunyan wrote in the uh, inside cover of his Bible, he said, um, 
Sin will keep you from this book, or the, this book will keep you from sin. So um, Peter exhorts his readers to lay aside these, um, these sins that, uh, that separate us from God. They, they break uh, fellowship, communion with him. We are to discard them as an old garment. That's the word that's used there. Lay, lay aside, put off these, uh, these sins. Which sins? Well, Peter lists five. He says, malice. What's malice? It's ill will toward others. It's um, wishing that bad things would happen to them. Deceit. Crafty deception. It's a deliberate misrepresentation or dishonesty. Hypocrisy is pretending to be what I'm not. It's an outward show of righteousness when inwardly I'm carnal. And uh, when... Um, Peter told the saints about their sincere love for the brethren. This is the opposite of hypocrisy, sincerity. Okay? Envy. Envy is the displeasure we feel when we see or hear the success of another. It's the opposite of thankfulness. Evil speaking is backbiting. Gossip. Slander. Slander is... Um, defaming a, a person's reputation. Each of these dishonors and displeases the Lord. Each of these runs counter to loving one another with a pure heart. Each of these suppresses our hunger for communion with God and uh, growth through his word, Peter says. Get rid of them. We must develop uh, an appetite for God's word. It's natural for an infant to call for milk. We, uh, we hear them uh, quite, uh, quite well when they're hungry. And um, Peter says, you need to develop the same, uh, the same desire for the milk of the word. The, um, that word desire could actually be translated lust. We need to lust for that. We need to crave the, um, the milk of God's word. Peter is not just addressing new believers. He says, you, um, you who've been following the Lord for, for many years, he says, um, you too need to develop this, uh, this desire, this passion for God's word. We say we don't have time for God's word. You know, I'd like to, but, you know, I don't have time, but I do eat three meals a day. Um, I find time for exercise and for, for sleep and these other things. Um, we should be able to find time for God's word. Job's example was, I've not departed from the commandment of his lips. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. We don't read that Job was starving. Um, he, was, uh, he was eating his meals. He wasn't missing meals. But his priority, his, um, uh, the important thing in Job's life was God's word. Give me God's word. That's what I want. I want to, um, uh, want to intake. I want to eat God's word. I value it. I treasure it more than my necessary food. Jeremiah said, your words were found and I ate them. 
and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I found them, I ate them, and they were my rejoicing. And we should train ourselves. In addition to those regular times in the word, we have um, uh, in the morning, perhaps at noon, perhaps uh, at bedtime, we should look for those uh, extras, those extra times. It might be a two-hour layover in the airport, might be a wait at the doctor's office or at the um, uh, service center for our car, might be on a long BART trip. Hey, I'm bringing my Bible. I'm going to read. I'll let people um, ask me what I'm reading, and we'll have a conversation, but I really want to intake God's Word. I was uh, sitting uh, at dinner in a friend's house years ago, and the youngster finished his dinner, and he, he looked around, and he said, Mom, what's for breakfast? The guy had an appetite, okay? And a healthy kid has a healthy appetite. God's goal is growth. Spiritual maturity. I was sitting in another friend's house, and he was... um, visiting there with a relative of his, and um, I was content just to enjoy the conversation. They were going back and forth about family and and, uh, about ministry, and and, um, the visitor turned to me and he said, are you growing in grace? Are you growing in grace? And I thought, what a question. Am I growing in grace? And uh, not sure what my answer was. I don't even remember what the conversation was about, but the question stuck. Are you growing in grace? I pass the question to you. Are you growing in grace? That's God's desire. And then um, Peter said in his second letter, are you growing, I'm sorry, we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our motive for our craving of God's word is um, if, if you have Indeed, tasted that the Lord is gracious. The if there, a commentator says it's a fulfilled condition. So we could supply the word since. Since, indeed, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Uh, because you have experienced his goodness and his kindness and his favor, I want to experience more. I have experienced a little, I want more. And that's the motive Peter offers for uh, developing this craving for God's word. Okay, so application time. Here are some questions for you to answer in your heart. Have you obeyed the truth? Have you obeyed the truth? Do you have that sincere uh, Philadelphia, that, um, that love for the brethren? Do you value God's word as living, imperishable, eternal? Or is it just a history book? Is it just a collection of stories and nice things to do? Is God's word imperishable? Have you laid aside the encumbrances to God's communion? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, Envy, evil speaking. Do you crave God's word? I mean, if somebody keeps you from your 
regular time in God's word, do you feel like you've missed something? Okay? Do you look for those extra little opportunities to, uh, to get into God's word and to, to explore, to investigate? Sometimes, uh, sometimes I'll have a burden and uh, I'll open God's word and, and just pray, Lord, Lord, ease this burden. So there's that, there's that time of um, intake of God's word from uh, a sense of uh, burden. Are you intentional about your spiritual growth? Are you deliberate? Is that your life goal, is, is to mature as a believer? I encourage you, if you don't already, set aside uh, time quarterly uh, to evaluate your life, to evaluate your goals. Take stock of where you were, where you're going, and uh, make that top priority, to, uh, to know God's word. And then, do you recognize that your proper response to God's grace is his qualification for further training, further teaching, further blessing? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for truth that you have revealed to us through your word. Certainly, we would not come by it any other way. And... Um, we owe so much to, um, to you through your prophets, through your, um, through your apostles in communicating this to us. We want to, uh, to thank you for it. Your word is living, it's imperishable, it's eternal. And um, uh, what a God uh, you are, what a God to serve. We want to remember, Lord, to lay aside these hindrances to communion and to communication of uh, of your truth, we, uh, we are um, frail, faulty people, and, and we need to come to you for cleansing and for the power to, um, uh, to overcome our tendencies. Um, Lord, your word is worth craving. It's, um, it's delectable, it's uh, delicious, it's um, nutritious and fulfilling, and so we want to develop that in our lives. Um, we want to be intentional about growth. We don't want to settle for being um, immature kids, but uh, we want to be men and women of your, uh, your word, of your spirit, of your power. And then, Lord, we recognize that uh, it's your grace, really, that draws us to, um, to growth in your word uh, because we found, we've tasted that you're good, you're generous, you're gracious. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.